0: To learn more and to claim your company listing, visit agtechcompanies.com. If you are starting a vertical farm and don't know where to begin or which technology would suit your needs, then reach out to the experts at Cultivated. As indoor farm brokers, they help connect you to the right technology and ensure your project is successful. Best of all, their service is free because they work on behalf of their partners. Visit cultivated.com to learn more. And that's spelled C-U-L-T-I-V-A-T-D.com. Or click the link in the show notes.
1: You know, as an entrepreneur, there's a million things that you need to do. It's a component of what are you going to do with your time? Again, I'm a humble person, so I'm not the type that's going to say, you know, my time's more valuable than yours. It's simply time is valuable, valuable to everybody. You know, Warren Buffett says that he can't buy. You can't buy time and so i cherish that i cherish my time i think about what am i going to do with it i think about my family i think about my businesses and i think about planted detroit specifically it's a huge time component it's a huge investment it has so much opportunity
0: welcome to the vertical farming podcast weekly conversations with fascinating ceos founders and ag tech visionaries Join us every week as we dive deep into
1: the world of vertical farming with your host, Harry Duran.
0: Vertical Farming Podcast Season 7, 2023 is in motion. It's in effect, and I hope you all had a very, very nice time with your family, with your friends, with your loved ones for the holiday season, and all ready to get back into the swing of things. We took a small break, had a chance to catch our breath, and we're back I teased out some of the episodes we had recorded at the end of twenty twenty two and I'm really excited to get back in the saddle and get these episodes out to you. If you are a regular listener or you've been here since season one or season five or season six, two, three, four, any one of the previous seasons, any one of the previous episodes, I am eternally grateful for you to be returning back as a listener. I don't take your time for granted. And I'm grateful that you're spending this hour with me as I learn more about vertical farming, as I learn more about my guests and I share those stories with you. If you are a new listener, if this is your first time listening to the podcast, we do everything we can to roll out the green mat for you. I love it when new folks find the podcast. And again, I wanna make sure that I'm creating an experience for you that'll keep you coming back and have you telling your friends all about this show. I'm really proud of the work we've done here to create a show that interviews fascinating CEOs and founders of the leading vertical farming companies from around the world, and that's the mission for season seven as well. I'm your host, Harry Duran. I've been podcasting since 2014 with my first show, Podcast Chunkies and started this show in 2020. In case you missed the end of season six, our last episode was with Brandy Keene, the co-founder and senior technical advisor at CERNA. It's one of the few episodes where we've covered the cannabis industry, and Brandy was someone that I had met at Indoor Ag Tech NYC last year. I'm really grateful for her to come on, talk about origin stories of Hydro Innovations, their acquisition by CERNA, and talk a little bit about the impact CEA has on the world's water supply and how her experience in the cannabis industry has been and how her unique take from the cannabis industry has helped her grow and thrive. This week, I speak with Tom Adamchek. He's the founder and CEO of Planted Detroit, which is located in the Island View neighborhood on Detroit's Lower East Side. They're committed to growing and providing clean, nutritious foods such as microgreens, herbs, baby greens, and ready to eat salads to the surrounding community. In this conversation, Tom and I talk about the origins of Planted Detroit, the revitalization of Detroit itself, and Tom's background in finance and how that's been helpful for him in managing the company. Tom talks about the lessons he learned as a leader and CEO during the COVID-19 pandemic, the role mentors that have played an important part in his journey and why he believes it's critical for any business owner or investor to love the product they're working on. A new season means a fresh new start and that means we're looking for fresh new reviews and ratings of the podcast. If you are enjoying this episode, And if you're new, you'll have to listen to it first. I get that. (laughs) But if you heard past episodes and you like what we're doing here, I'd love it if you leave a rating and a review at ratethispodcast.com forward slash VFP. And I'll be sure to read yours out on a future episode. Okay. I'm excited to jump into this conversation with Tom. But before we do, here's a few words from the folks that support this show. This episode is brought to you by Indoor AgCon 2023. I'm so happy to have been working with the team last year. Indoor AgCon 2022 was my very first indoor farming conference, so it was really eye-opening for me, so I'll always be grateful to the team there for rolling out the carpet for me, (laughs) and I really had a good time meeting a lot of past guests, and excited to join them again this year. Entering its 10th year in a row, it's the largest trade show and conference for vertical farming and CEA, and it's returning to Caesars Forum Conference Center in Las Vegas on February 27th and 28th of 2023. Once again, they'll be co-located with the National Growers Association show as well, which is a really good fit for them. The conference keeps growing, and this year it's doubled in size. The expo floor now has more than 170 booths filled with new product resources and solutions to explore. You'll hear from experts, including CEOs, growers, investors, and others in the field during this full-scale educational conference. As always, you'll be able to connect with peers, grocers, and other potential new business partners at their great networking events. I haven't even gotten to the best part. The team at Indoor AgCon has given listeners of this show 20% off their full access conference pass. All you have to do is use promo code VFP, as in Vertical Farming Podcast, and sign up at indoor.ag. See you there. Our production team at Fullcast is excited to be working with pip horticulture this season on the production of their new show cultivation elevated if you're a grower or an owner looking to optimize your new or existing cultivation facility or anyone looking to cultivate more and less space then this is the show for you each week you'll join michael williamson as he travels across the country to explore the world of vertical farming and the future of cannabis and food production through his conversations with leading industry operators growers and executives demonstrating success and resilience as growers and cultivators You can find the show wherever you listen to podcasts. That's Cultivation Elevated by Pip Horticulture. If you're a regular listener to the show, you'll know that this is the space where I get to talk about some of the fantastic sponsors and supporters of this show. If you are interested in being one of those sponsors, by all means, reach out to me directly, harry at farmingpodcast.com. We've got inventory available for season seven, and the reach of the show just continues to increase year over year. And we'd love to partner with you and get the word out about your company or service. Tom Adamczyk, CEO of Planted Detroit. Thank you for joining me on the Vertical Farming Podcast.
1: Thanks for having me, Harry. Excited to be here.
0: So where's home for you?
1: Right now in Howell, Michigan.
0: Howell, Michigan.
1: I'm about an hour outside of Detroit.
0: Got a a special place in my heart for Detroit because growing up, I am into electronic music, house music. And so I learned to DJ at 16 and (laughs) was in clubs before I could even, was old enough to drink. So. Into lots of festivals and specifically movement with my ex for we went nine years in a row. So that was a really good experience and it's amazing to see what it did for the city during that time <laughs> as well.
1: Yeah, you know the city of Detroit has produced a lot of great music over the years. A lot has come out of that town.
0: Yeah, were you born and raised
1: there? I grew up just south of Detroit in a suburb called Southgate, Michigan. Have always lived here though, in and around. Went to the University of Michigan, Ross School of Business. Worked in Southfield for several years at an investment banking company. And yeah, this has always been home to me.
0: What's life growing up there
1: like? It's awesome. You know, just really hardworking people. You know, people that are neighborly, willing to help one another. You know, when we go through hard times, there's always a community to call on. that You can circle the wagons around and support one another. and That's definitely ingrained in the culture here. You know, I know the city of Detroit has a pretty long, long and rocky history. You know, it's actually a beautiful history and a lot of good things that have come out of it and a really, a lot of culture and a lot of, you know, people that are all focused around, you know, building things. The history of Detroit has been automating vehicles for over a hundred years and there's a lot of companies and, you know, startup companies and opportunities for people that have been created out of that industry. And you know, again, it's speckled with the rocky history along the way, but there's a revitalization that's going on, attracting you know new businesses back into this community, and really doing some wonderful things.
0: So you studied business, university, and is that something that you had your eye on when you went into college that you really were focused on finance and business?
1: Yes, I think since I was about 12 years old, I have always had an interest in investing in finances and starting businesses. I was that kid in Southgate that had, you know, five, six lawns that I mowed every single (laughs) week, you know, put that cash in my pocket, save it up. You know, I used to wash cars, paint garages, you name it, just to make some money and save up and save for something that I wanted, which was a Camaro that could just, you know, blow the doors off. And that's where it all started. And then I started investing. You know, I got into the stock market at a young age and, you know, had some good opportunities to make some money and let my money work for me. And that's one way I paid for my first car. What year, Camaro? 2000. Okay.
0: (laughs) Did you have a fondness for the classics as well? I was always like, what was it? I think the 69
1: Camaro. Yeah. I mean, just about every car show. That was always my interest. And, you know, I still have that car. It's sitting in my garage right here. It's got some sentimental value to me. (laughs) Yeah. There's been a couple of times where my wife has wanted me to sell it, but it ain't happened.
0: (laughs) And also, I mean, obviously for international folks, because I know they listen to the show as well, they may not understand the importance of cars to Detroit and to, you know, Motor City and how important it is and how people you know take their cars and what they drive seriously. There was a period of time that you probably were looked upon or frowned upon if you, <laughs> if you didn't have a Detroit-made car driving through that city.
1: Yeah, I mean, if you rolled down the street of my neighborhood, just about every other house had a classic car in the garage, you know? Yeah,
0: very cool. And so where did you get your work ethic, your investment ethic? Like, where'd that come from? Is that your folks?
1: Yeah, it's a good question. I mean, hindsight's twenty twenty. It came from a lot of things. Definitely my mom and dad and the way they raised me. Just to work hard, have that work ethic, you know if you want, then you go out and get it. If you don't know how to do something, you go and figure out how you know do your homework. And if you're going to do something, do it the best that you possibly can. And that translated to everything in my life, not only business but sports and you know friends and relationships, you know, do it to its fullest potential. That work ethic was ingrained in me, and then, you know, as I matured. I was really passionate about learning a lot of different things and being good at just about everything. You know, it was just a competitive nature in me and I wanted to learn everything. And that really translated nicely into business, you know, because within business and as an entrepreneur, you have to be able to understand a little bit of everything from the finance side to, you know, sales and marketing to operations. You know, you got to be technical, have some IT knowledge there's a lot of components of a business that you need to understand at least something about it, each and every one of them. And that's all of those things. You know, I constantly surround myself with more and more information and just a hunger to learn more all the time.
0: What sports did you play?
1: Basketball, soccer, and baseball primarily. And then I love golf. I like to hunt. I like to fish. I really do a lot of different things and I love every bit of it. Now that I'm older, I've got four kids now. They're all into sports and I get to coach yeah. them and that's always fun and fascinating.
0: Yeah. And pass on that work ethic as well, I might imagine.
1: <laughs> Definitely. I'll try and be an example for them.
0: Yeah. So when you got out of school, you were focused on a job in finance and it seems like you've been doing that for a while. So can you talk a little bit as we move into like to Detroit, but I'm just a little bit curious about what that experience is like. And I know that you still do some of that now. So what's it like to be in that world?
1: Yeah. You know, while I was in school, there was, you know, as I kind of think back to even entering the University of Michigan, there was just so much uncertainty at that point in my life, right, where you don't know what your career is going to look like. You don't know where you're going to live, who you're going to work for, how it's all going to come together. And the beauty of, you know, being 15 years out or so, looking back and seeing, you know, all of the stepping stones, all of the learning opportunities have been amazing. So, you know, in college, I was really focused on, you know, taking classes that were focused around finance and in particular around equity markets. I had a passion early on for investing in stocks and I took a lot of classes around that, but also got into the extracurriculars and was involved in what's called the Maze and Blue Fund. It's a student run fund at the university. We got to, you know, work in small teams to identify stocks and Do stock pitches and actually buy, make investments using the student Mm -hmm. funds. That really was where my passion was. But I needed the job coming out of there and I needed an internship. And, you know, going down those paths, I'm looking at, you know, do I move to New York or Chicago? And also my personal life, I had a daughter that I was raising during college. I had some serious family responsibilities to think about. That certainly kicked my butt in gear. And so I ended up finding this company that was absolutely awesome for me. They've rebranded. They're called Stout. Uh, It was SRR when I started there and I was an intern and they gave me a ton of responsibility early on. I got to work on mergers and acquisitions across a lot of different industries. I ended up getting a full-time job offer out of my internship and hit the ground running. You know, I was hungry. I was young, energetic. Just give me everything I want to learn. And so that was several years of, you know, grinding and long hours and quite honestly, not seeing the family for several days or weeks. But it was all necessary in order for me to progress and learn. And I got to travel a little bit. I got to work with the CEOs and CFOs of middle market public companies, large private companies. And I got to see the kind of the whole back end of the corporate world, which was really necessary for me to learn that back end to then make a career transition into you know, private wealth management and running equity portfolios. So I got to you know, take that experience that I got right out of college with really doing a deep dive into company financials and translate a lot of that into the investment opportunities that were available in the public markets. So I started trading an equity portfolio in 2014 and since then it's done great it's been a fantastic market had some awesome opportunities and you know certainly a low interest rate environment's been super helpful for the last decade but now we're transitioning into a new economic environment and it's a challenge and I still do that you know my portfolio management is still ongoing and it's a challenging environment, but it's still where my passion lies. And Planted Detroit was born out of that. So definitely we'll jump
0: into that. I'm just curious, you know, I'm always grateful for the mentors that I've had along the way. And I'm wondering if it's been the same for you as you were having these experiences and building this company, if there were, you know, relationships and uh, mentors that were instrumental or
1: helpful for you. Yeah, I'm always the type of person that is always looking for resources. So reaching out to my network when I have a gap to fill. And, you know, I have my mentors, you know, within my family, you know, my parents, certainly and my sister as well. But, you know, outside of family, it's been, you know, colleagues that I've worked with in the past that are just really, really smart individuals that are typically older than me and have experiences, you know, that they can look back on. And I'm a big fan of, you know, learning from your elders, you know, talking to the folks that are, you know, 70, 80, 90 years old. That's really where I get a lot of my work ethic and inspiration from. And so I think it's important to recognize that people around you all have different opinions about things, right? And they have opinions that are based on their own personal experiences and their diverse backgrounds. And so we need to leverage that, you know, we need to think, listen, and really absorb, be a sponge and listen to the people around you. And then that's how you can kind of formulate your own opinions or your own, you know, pillars that you're going to live by.
0: It's interesting that you mentioned and brought that up. I've been conscious of just like how society is hopefully waking up to this concept of I've heard it described as grandma wisdom <laughs> and grandpa wisdom, right? Like, I mean, you talk about people who are under you know, 60s, 70s, 80s towards the twilight of their career and their life. And then there's something special about the wisdom that they do hold. And, you know, it's something that was obvious for indigenous cultures. And I think hopefully it's coming back around. And when you think about where we're headed as a society, how the aging population, you know, what's happening with them, how are we taking care of them? It's something that's been top of mind because there is a lot of wisdom contained in those folks. And I hope, you know, we can do better by them <laughs> than we have in the past. And I think it's valuable and a helpful reminder. So thanks for bringing that up.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And you know, I really do think about my grandparents and all of the things that they've been through. You know, my grandma and grandpa, Adam, check, you know, they grew up just outside of Detroit, but long history there, you know, they went through the Great Depression. And, you know, these were the people that, you know, when I grew up, you know, would laugh because they would reuse their napkins or reuse plastic forks. And they went through this period of time where, you know, even basic necessities were of concern, you know, food shortages and going through in and out of employment and recessions. But, you know, also still with them, the work ethic was instilled. You know, my grandpa worked at Tiger Stadium on the weekends as a ticket guy and at the post office during the week. He had nine kids and, you know, struggling to support. But he looked to his community and his family to support him. And he had a brother, my great uncle Joe, who had a grocery store in Southwest Detroit. And he was really like the pillar in his community. You know, people depended on him for their basic needs and their food and their milk and their eggs. And he would offer, you know, my grandpa the opportunity to come to the store and get food for free when they needed it. Right. And really, he didn't just do it for my grandpa. He did it for a lot of people you know when people were struggling you know he's willing to you know all right you can pay me back when you get it sort of thing and that sense of community was really important to me because you know you have to depend on one another and you know just kind of thinking about what my grandparents went through they saw a lot and now we're starting to see it you know with our generation and going through this pandemic and you know covid has just ripped a hole in you know what we thought was normal life but what i see at least in my personal experience with it is that sense of community, people coming together to help one another out. And I think that's really important. And we really got to build on that as a society.
0: Yeah, it's really interesting. And I didn't plan it this way. But I I started looking into researching the topic and the show. And then I started the interviews in March of 2020, you know, and just kind of chatted about earlier, like, I didn't even know if people were ready to have conversations. And I think, you know there's this mindset of like you know life has got to go on and we've got to push through some of these hardships sometimes and i'm glad like everyone in those early guests you know s- stuck with it and i think what was interesting is just the realization of how fragile you know our supply chains were our ability to have fresh food locally food deserts all these topics which sort of came you know were front of mind and dependency on food from outside sources and so it's been really interesting to hear the stories and to have people be awakened, you know, forced into this conversation, obviously through COVID, but, you know, showing the resiliency of coming out on the other side. And, you know, a lot of companies and CEOs really figure out like, you know, what their teams were made of, what they were made of, you know, and how to get through this in a way. And so we saw a lot of very inspiring leaders step up, you know, and help carry their team through this. I'm just wondering, you know, I don't get to talk about it too much, but know, how that period of time was for you, you know, what challenges you had to go through and then how you came out through it on the other side.
1: Where do I start? I mean, if I think about April of 2020, when everything shut down, you know, first and foremost, the thought goes to how do I protect my family? And I'm a family man. You know, I just got to make sure one, I protect my family. And once I got that security, it was, you know, how can I help my neighbors? How do I help my friends and family around me? And that extends all the way to, you know, the business and the teams and the people and making sure you're there for them, supporting them. And also, you know, again, putting weight on your skill sets that you have. And so for me, that was, you know, finance and investing. So I buckled down, right? And it was a tumultuous time, but being able to continue, you know, my investment business and really, really actually do well during that period of time as well as grow the Planet Detroit business. That's something that I started in 2018. But, you know, by 2020, it was evidence that this is a really critical business, not only for, you know, for me, but for the people that we're supplying food to. And so, you know, that pandemic moment and the months that followed was really a testament to that business and the team there. And hindsight again is 2020, but the team at Planet Detroit did a phenomenal job of being able to support one another, buckle down, keep the business operating as a critical infrastructure business. And we kept supplying food to our community all throughout it. And it was a blessing in disguise. It allowed us to expand production, it allowed us to focus on the areas that the business needed to grow into. And what came out of the pandemic for us is evidence that a ready to eat salad is something that we can sell in volume and people love it and it's healthy and nutritious. And, you know, that's how the business of ultimately coming out of the pandemic, you know, I guess making lemonade out of lemons when you get it. So we were able to pivot and ultimately the business and the teams came out better on the other side.
0: appreciate you sharing that. So Rewinding the clock back a little bit, I'm just curious, like, when and how did vertical farming come on your radar? And, you know, talk a little bit about the origin story, those early days of Planet Detroit.
1: Yeah. So, again, looking back at my career and all of the things that were really pointing to what ultimately became Planet Detroit came from a lot of different angles, primarily from my experience with working with corporations up and down the food supply chain. Early on in my career, I got to do some really cool mergers and acquisitions with food distributors, grocery retailers, and also I got to work all the way upstream with the farmers in Agland. And what that presented to me was that some of these companies are really struggling in these low margin businesses. And I was able to think about the whole food supply chain from really a 30,000 foot view and ultimately thinking about the end consumer and what the end consumer wants. We want healthy, safe, and nutritious food, high quality food. And what we're getting is lower and lower quality food. And it's actually becoming unsafe at times. And at the same time, prices are going up. So we're paying more and more for lower and lower quality. So the economics of that didn't make a whole lot of sense to me. And then thinking about the whole supply chain from the farmer to the distributors. To the grocery retailers, and many of them were struggling you know all along the way, and that didn 't make a whole lot of sense to me. I got to look at farmers p and ls and what I noticed within their cost structure is the rising need and cost of fertilizer you know they 're dependent on the weather they 're dependent on hitting the yields that they need and hoping that prices stay where they 're at or go up and in order to de-risk that business, they have to pump fertilizer into their soils. They have to you know, fungicides, insecticides, herbicides to protect their crop. And that to me was kind of the eye opener of, all right, let's look at some of these fertilizer companies. And so that's when I did. And I think it was 2015, there was uh, Bayer's acquisition of Monsanto's. That was kind of an eye opener for me that once you look at that Monsanto's acquisition, those guys were making garbage cans full of money. And that to me was a trigger that that's where a lot of the economics are. You know, the economic profits are going to the fertilizer companies, the chemical companies. And I don't just personally didn't think it was right. And so that's what ultimately led me to doing research and a deeper dive into alternative growing methods, research in hydroponics and ultimately vertical farming and the economics around it. And got me to the point where I wanted to invest in the space. I want to start, you know, taking some of my funds and allocating the to the space because I think it's going to take off. But once I got into the weeds of it, a lot of the companies were very immature and very risky investments, even from a venture cap startup phase. And I didn't feel super comfortable with that risk. So after several years of research and finally said, you know, I'm going to start something close to home. Something that I can de-risk by being involved in it and by learning it. So that was my due diligence. And that's how Planet Detroit was born. Build a facility that I can learn. I can collect the data and understand every component of it. And so that's when it started in 2018. Moved into an old industrial warehouse in Detroit in August and started building the teams, you know, surrounding myself with people that are different experiences, different backgrounds than me and now a lot of those people are still with me today. They are part of my leadership team at Planet Detroit, and there's five of us together, and we brainstorm ideas, and we learn from one another. They have plant science backgrounds, microbiology, grocery, and marketing, you know, as well as construction and, you know, a lot of different aspects. So, that's how it started and it slowly grew over time. And what was really fascinating to me was some of my initial questions getting into the business was by growing in an indoor controlled environment under LED lights, what is this food going to taste like? <laughs> yeah. And the team ended up growing 66 different varieties of crops, lettuces, herbs, microgreens, and we got to tap into our culinary community in Detroit, work directly with the chefs. And that was that moment when they tasted it and they were able to change the taste of the products and really perfect them that, you know, this is the viable option for growing food in the future. The next question was, can you do it economically? And so that's where I sat for a while, pulling data and picking the brains of my people and really building the model around an income statement for every product that we grow you know, really building out that formula of time from seed to harvest, all of the inputs and what is your output. And that's what ultimately we've been doing for the last four years. It's trial and error experimentation and identifying what you can grow really well. And then, you know, there's a lot of tailwinds with the benefits of growing indoors.
0: It's what's interesting is that entire background that we talked about earlier in the conversation that you brought to bear in these decisions and this decision making and how you thought about not only building the team but also you know the profitability of these individual crops which ones were performing best ensuring that you would have a market ensuring that you would have a buyer and it's a lot of things you know people don't give a lot of thought to but i think it's important that you were looking at it from all the different aspects of it how this was going to be successful and even the experience you had in working with these companies on the finance side and understanding M&A perspective. So it really feels like you were positioned <laughs> to be in this place to really have a lot of success with this. And I'm sure going into a new industry, you know, as much as you've learned when you were making those deals, there's nothing like having like the hands-on experience, the day-to-day experience of building a team. And I'm wondering what that was like you know, as you were moving and developing into this role and what would eventually become the CEO role.
1: Yeah, it's funny when you start a business, and I think this probably goes for a lot of entrepreneurs, you don't run a business. The business runs you. And you have to accept that fact that you got to go with the flow and roll with the punches. You know, I couldn't predict at day one that we would be exactly right where we are now at year four. The people, the systems, the complexity. No way I could have predicted that. What was important for this type of business and certainly for your audience in the vertical farming industry You got to have a long time horizon. You are inventing an industry and there is not a supply chain built underneath you. And so you got to have that patience and that time and that thought process in place from the beginning. You know, developing that team out has been amazing. What's even more fascinating now is those teams have teams. And as the business grows, we've got almost 70 employees now at Planted. That grew from 11 in April of 2020. When you could shout across the table to somebody to now having to build processes of, you know, proper communication in place in order to warm one another. And yeah, that growth from 11 to over 50, that was a major challenge in order to maintain consistency and in your end product. And, you know, it's definitely something that we look back on and say, wow, that was a crazy two years, a lot different than the previous two. And it's going to continue to be, you know, over the next two years as we grow. In the name of this business is scale. You got to get to scale, but you got to do it in the right ways.
0: What's been the biggest growth for you as a leader, you know, since you've taken over that
1: role? That's a good question. I would say, you know, just by my nature, I tend to be a bit of a humble person. So, you know, being that person that everybody looks to, you know, as a CEO title, as owner of the business as, you know, that point person, I don't mind that pressure or that stress, right? Like that's being the captain of a sports team. I love that. But really recognizing that you're responsible for everybody. It's not a challenge. It's just something that you got to utilize to motivate you. It's way bigger than yourself in the business and, and everything you're working towards for growth, for profitability, for sales, for scale. You know, all of that is great and important. But at the end of the day, it's the people that matter. And they're looking to you. They're relying on you to make the right decisions when the time is right. And, you know, it's something I definitely I just think about it all the time. You know, that's what gets me out of bed in the morning. And I love every aspect of it.
0: For the listener, for the folks who may not be familiar with Planted Detroit, what, what was the business model and who was the client or the ideal customer? And what were the offerings and how has that shifted to present day?
1: Yeah. So, you know, planted Detroit from a high level. It's a vertical hydroponic farm. And on the east side of Detroit, we've got a 20,000 square foot warehouse. It really started, though, in about 10% of that as R&D, you know, 2,500 square feet. We are growing a bunch of different crops at low volume and selling to the restaurants, you know, working with the chefs directly in order to perfect the taste profile. That quickly transformed into the design of the entire 20,000 square foot facility to incorporate everything from automation, you know, more advanced machinery and equipment to, you know, the food safety aspect of our operation, you know, selecting, you know, food safe materials, having food safe processes in place. All of that was really necessary to develop that strategy early on when you're at small scale before you get to that 20,000 square foot level. So we built that out and that allowed us to expand our volumes significantly. We incorporated automation into many components of the growing operation. We developed the salad products that are primary revenue stream right now. And that was developed, I believe, in November of 2019. We kind of put together our first prototype salad. And as the pandemic hit and our restaurants closed their doors and were forced to, that business dried up immediately. And we were able to pivot and sell our ready-to-eat salads direct to consumer and then also on grocery store shelves and then started developing partnerships with, you know, Henry Ford Health Systems and got into the hospitals and you know, really just started the snowball that really went, you know, on its own downhill from there. And ever since then, you know, we continue to build new products, having new taste profiles, new ingredients, new dressings, and really tackling that direct-to-consumer farm-to-fork concept where people can go online and buy right from planteddetroit.com. And we're going to deliver it right to your door, right to your office, and you can even set up a subscription and it'll show up at your doorstop whenever you want it. Did you ever thought
0: you'd be in a salad business 10 years ago?
1: <laughs> no, not to be totally honest with you. I did not even really like eating vegetables. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly wasn't a salad person. Now I eat a salad almost every day. They do tastes great. I mean, it's an amazing product. And that was one of the things as an investor in a company, you gotta love the product. And that's really grown, you know, organically into my life where people just, you know, they're constantly talking to me about salad in the business. And, you know, and I love talking about it, but it's in every conversation, it seems like.
0: That's great. So what's the future hold? You know, obviously, I'm sure you've got stuff on the roadmap. You know, it's probably given what's happened the past couple of years, doesn't make sense to look out past six months or a year. But, you know, what do you have in the works and where do you see the opportunities for Plants in Detroit?
1: Yeah, so that roadmap has become clearer and clearer over time. As I said, I couldn't have predicted where we are now four years ago, but taking all of those learnings and everything that we've done and now apply it to a five to 10 year plan is really exciting. We're laser focused on our market, the Detroit market, Southeast Michigan. And, you know, our facility is ramping up you know, we're constantly scaling into our sales with production. We do a bit of just-in-time manufacturing process. And so that facility is still ramping up to its full production capacity. In the meantime, we're building a second facility right next door. That facility is going to be another 9,000 square feet of production different technology investments there in terms of some automation around irrigation and fertigation environmental controls and all of those components but also geared towards expanding our product category so we're pretty excited about being able to supply edible flowers to our pastry chefs and our restaurant customers as well as introduce those products to the everyday consumer through our ready-to-eat salads those are the things that are currently in the works And then we are raising capital for the first time, going to outside investors to build a couple of larger facilities that are going to be focused on the Detroit area. And so that's the slow and steady scale that I'm a huge proponent of. A lot of people ask me about, you know, when is, you know, planted Chicago or you name it coming.
0: Planted Minneapolis.
1: (laughs) That's a why in our journey that we'll take when we get there, you know? Yeah. Our journey right now is detroit we're going to build the best you know most food safe most highly productive automated facilities with just the best products coming out of them that's what we're laser focused on and we've got a great market here you know we haven't really spent a whole lot of money at all on marketing and so that's a new challenge for us but it's exciting because that's going to drive growth for us on the top line Once we start telling the people, you know, in the world, what we're doing, we've got four years under our belts where we've learned a lot, but now we've got a fantastic product that we're ready to sell, you know, just really to anybody and anybody that likes salad in Detroit.
0: Or even if you think you don't, you know, you got a lot to learn. (laughs) great
1: point. I was converted. So you, me too.
0: What's a tough question you've had to ask yourself recently?
1: I would say if I think about, you know, when I wake up in the morning, what do I ask myself? It's a simple question, what are you going to do today? You know, as an entrepreneur, there's a million things that you need to do. Yeah. Prioritize. I think it's a component of what are you going to do with your time? And again, I'm a humble person. So I'm not the type that's going to say, you know, my time's more valuable than yours. It's simply time is valuable. It's valuable to everybody. It's the one thing that, you know, Warren Buffett says that he can't buy. You can't buy time. And so I cherish that. I cherish my time. I think about what am I going to do with it? I think about my family. I think about my businesses. And I think about Planet Detroit specifically. You know, It's a huge time component. It's a huge investment, but it has so much opportunity. And it's something that I think for me personally, is a major personal achievement to be able to build and create something new that has an impact on people's lives. It really checks all of the boxes in terms of, you know, environmental sustainability, you know, shortening the food supply chain, bringing, you know, good paying jobs to, you know, potentially, you know, impoverished areas. It can solve some of the food insecurity issues that we're experiencing. It checks all the boxes and to me, you know, with my background in finance and you know, I think about trading stocks or doing the valuation work that I used to do. I wasn't creating any real value or not value to me. And when you can build something that produces food at a rapid rate, it's pretty fascinating. That's something that I can wrap my head around and really get behind. So that's probably the most challenging question is, hey, what are you going to do? You know, what are you going to do with your time? My answer is I'm going to cherish every minute of it and I'm going to apply my skill sets to what I think can bring the most value to people.
0: That makes sense. So given the audience of this show, it's your peers, your colleagues in this space, I always like to leave a couple of minutes towards the end if you have an ask or if you have something you know you want to say or anything for the folks in this industry. You know, It's such a new industry, and I think we're all learning from each other, so I'd like to just give you a couple of minutes for anything that comes to mind.
1: I appreciate that. You know, it is... Um, At times it feels like you are inventing an industry and that's a struggle. You know, I really think that there's many of us trying to do, you know, similar things. And as you just mentioned, you have to learn from one another. I think that's something that's going to be necessary over the next couple of years is providing a platform where we can share information, share ideas, share, you know, whatever it might be with one another. The pie is pretty big in terms of market size and a lot of us are pretty small still so really putting our heads together to think about you know what are you doing that's maybe better than what we're doing you know maybe you're growing something just a little bit faster or a little bit better than us that's something that's a value and we got to figure out how to build a table where we can all sit around it and talk about those things and also do it in a way that's you know it makes business sense if you've got the best technology that can grow x y and z crop then man, I'd love to license that from you. If you figured out some sort of recipe, a secret sauce, I'd like to license that from you. We certainly are working every day to create the best possible, most efficient processes. I'm sure we're onto a few things, but I would love for us and other vertical farms to grow bigger and faster sooner so that the supply chain underneath us can build as well. We're starting to see components of that. We're starting to see some automation and technology providers. We've definitely seen it on the LED lighting side with the investment and blow up of the cannabis industry. You know, the economics are getting better and better for our industry, but we need just like the automotive industry in Detroit, they built tier one, tier two, and tier three suppliers. We need that from media companies, from trade companies, from technology providers, from software yeah. providers. And I feel like we're having to create a lot of that in house ourselves, which at times can become frustrating to me, at least personally, coming into this industry.
0: And I think considering where you're from and considering, you know, the automotive industry, it's a great model, you know, when you think about all the different ways the partners work with each other and support each other and you know everyone's focused on their specialties and when everyone is aiming for the bigger picture of the growth of the industry is where you see like a lot of the innovation happening. And I think To your point, I'm glad you brought that up because it's important to think about, you know, the rising tide lifting all boats metaphor and just how we are still new. And there is a tendency sometimes to kind of like hone in and sort of like secret sauce and like (laughs) I'm doing something that's super special. But I think there is some opportunity. And I think maybe by virtue of these conversations or maybe just kind of these connections, you know, we can think about opportunities to facilitate some type of, you know, coming to the table and just having sharing, you know, best ideas, best practices, you know, we may walk away still with everyone, you know, keeping everything under wraps. But I think, you know, there's no harm in trying to see, you know, where there's opportunities and where there's people that are looking to, you know, think more expansively for where we want this industry to go.
1: Yeah, you know what, this podcast is one element of it, right? Getting information out. That's really important and I don't think was really necessarily available several years ago. The academic world is also pushing along. You know, there's some great groups that we're a part of that are starting to provide that medium for sharing information. You know, there's industry groups that are starting to form. It's great to see. But my background comes from M&A and I do have a prediction that at some point in the next eight years, you know, a couple of these farms need to come together under one umbrella. And really formulate that table of bringing all this know-how to the table, and let's make the biggest and best you know food-producing company possible.
0: Very inspiring, Tom. Thank you for your time today. Thank you for sharing your origin story. It's very inspiring to see how like you know, and your humility comes through in this conversation. But it's also a testament to you know the way you were raised and your background. And we talked about like the inspiration from your grandparents. And that's clear in terms of like how you've been able to build your career and then figuring out what's important for you and what type of legacy you want to leave and how important families to you. So I think it's just a really inspiring story. I appreciate you sharing it. It's really one of those things that gets people inspired about the possibilities of what we can do if we just stay focused and we share common values.
1: Well, I appreciate it. I appreciate you having me. I hope that you find your way to Detroit at some point. Yeah, I would love to get you a salad. <laughs> And certainly for anybody that's, you know, thinking about or traveling to or connected within this Detroit community, you know, reach out to us. We're an open book. We're transparent. We're a great team. And we're really trying to be a good neighbor. Our other businesses, we partner a lot with, you know, small businesses, medium-sized businesses, again, trying to be a good neighbor and facilitate growth for one another. And then certainly if you're a salad lover, you know, go on planteddetroit.com and try us out. From here on out, it's going to be a whirlwind, and I think what you're going to see is some of the best products coming out of planet Detroit.
0: I can totally see it happen. I'll definitely take you up on that. (laughs) We're not too far in Minneapolis, so it it shouldn't be too far to get over there. I think even make a drive over there.
1: (laughs) That's it. There may be a day where you might be able to get it shipped to you over there in Minneapolis, but really i am trying to avoid doing that
0: <laughs> yeah trying defeats the purpose of having everything local but we'll have to work on planet minneapolis and, and see how that comes around
1: <laughs> i'm a big fan of it
0: so planet detroit for the website anywhere else you want to send folks to connect with you or the company
1: yeah we have some great partnerships with plum market in the detroit area also out in ann arbor You can find our products at Henry Ford Health Systems in the hospitals. So you can try us out there. We're at probably your local restaurant, either listed there on the menu or maybe a component of their salads or a microgreen or herb on top. So keep an eye out for that. And, you know, look for us doing big things for the city. Really excited about what we have in the works here. And hopefully in not too long of time, we can come back on this and talk about, you know, that next set of facilities.
0: Yeah. That'd be great. I appreciate you sharing your story. Thanks again, Tom.
1: Appreciate it.
0: Thanks again to Tom for coming on the show and spending an hour of his time. I'll say it every episode. It's not something I take for granted. And I'm really grateful for him for sharing his story with you. As always, full show notes are available at verticalfarmingpodcast.com. We take a lot of time and pride in putting together a complete summary, time-stamped takeaways, Any resources mentioned in the show and a couple of quotes which past listeners have mentioned they share on social and have been helpful for them as well to spread the word. So if you feel the urge to do that, please do so and make sure you tag us at Vertical Farm Pod on all the socials. Grateful to be working again with our Season 7 title sponsor, Cultivated. If you are looking into a vertical farm and don't know where to start or which technology would suit your needs, reach out to them today. Best of all, their service is free because they work on behalf of their partners. Learn more at Cultivated.com, and that's spelled C-U-L-T-I-V-A-T-D.com. Just leave out that last E. Podcast production and marketing provided by Fullcast. Learn more at Fullcast.co if a podcast is right for you. And as a reminder, if you're enjoying this show, please leave us a rating and a review at RateThisPodcast.com forward slash VFP. I'd be more than excited to read those out on a future episode. Tune in next week for another conversation with a fascinating leader from the world of vertical farming, Isaac Berzin. It's our first trip out to Iceland of all places. He is the CEO of Vaxa Life, and this is a really fascinating and fun conversation about the work they're doing in vertical farming. So please make sure you tune into that. Until we meet again, here's to your health. Thanks for listening. To read the full show notes for this episode, which includes any links mentioned in the episode, as well as a full show transcription, visit verticalfarmingpodcast.com. There, you can sign up for our email list to be notified when new episodes are published.